Good morning. If you have your Bibles, once you open up to Colossians chapter 3, uh, we'll be looking at uh, verse 8 today. Uh, and as you are, are turning there, uh, I have a, a question just for us to, to ponder. Uh, it's, a, it's a question that, that our society uh, wants us to answer. Uh, and our, our society is, is struggling to answer um, the simple question of is is the Bible relevant for today? Uh, does does this book that uh, was written uh, the Old Testament between uh, uh, 3,500 and 2,500 years ago? Uh, does it have anything to say about how we live today? Or the New Testament, which was written uh, 2,000 years ago? Uh, does does that uh, have any anything to tell us uh, today when we are separated by? by 2,000 years and 7,000 miles uh, from its original authors uh, and audiences. Does this book have, uh, have any say upon our lives? Should we look at this book for uh, any kind of wisdom or counsel uh, regarding how we are to, to live today? Uh, and uh, I would say most of, uh, most of history from the last 2,000 years has said, yes, the Bible is... The Bible is relevant, and we need to look to it uh, to, to see how we should live. But, uh, but our contemporary society has said uh, that, that the Bible is irrelevant and outdated. There are some within uh, the church who have said that. You can just uh, search uh, on, online, and it doesn't have to take too, too long of a search to find that there are pastors who are saying, we need to move past the Bible, uh, that, that the Bible is, is outdated, and what can... What can this book that was written 2,000 years ago possibly have to say to us today? Well, uh, what we have to realize is that God's word is timeless, uh, that God's word is always relevant to all people in every culture, uh, in every age, uh, to every uh, age group, to every um, to man, to woman, to child. It is always relevant. And what makes the Bible always relevant is uh, the questions that it answers. Uh, see, uh, the questions that uh, the Bible answers are, are questions that every society has had to answer. Questions like, where did we come from? And, and why are we here? What went wrong? Pretty much every society will have some kind of an explanation of what has gone wrong in the world because it doesn't take long to look at the world and realize something is, isn't right. Uh, something, has, uh, something is not perfect about the world. It is actually very imperfect. And so we have to explain what has What's gone wrong with the world? And then if, once we identify what's gone wrong or how we try to explain what has gone wrong, what else do we try and provide? An answer. What, what is the solution? What, what is the, the right that, we, that will right the wrong uh, that is in the world? And then where is the world going? Now, ultimately, every single worldview, ultimately, every single religion will have to answer those, those four questions. Where have we come from? What's gone wrong? What's the solution? And where is history headed? Uh, those are timeless questions, and the Bible answers those questions in a comprehensive and consistent way. Uh, where did we come from? God created us in his image and for his glory. What went wrong? Well, we rebelled against our creator. We decided that we wanted to be God uh, and that we wanted to establish our own rules rather than listening to God's instructions. What's the solution? Uh, 
The solution is Christ. Uh, we couldn't uh, save ourselves. We couldn't right the wrong. So God righted the wrong. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay for sins because uh, sin and the curse is uh, what is wrong with our world. That is why there is suffering. That is why there is injustice. Uh, and God's solution to that injustice, God's solution to sin is his son, Jesus Christ, coming and dying. And we are now waiting for his return. Uh, his second coming when he will right every wrong, when he will uh, brush away every tear from our eyes. Uh, that is what the world is moving toward. And that is what the Bible teaches, and, and it presents answers that are timeless. Uh, and uh, as, we, as we look at Colossians 3 today, we'll, we'll give the Bible a little bit of a relevancy test. Even though we've already said it's timeless in, in the answers that it provides, we'll, we'll see that the Bible is relevant to us here and now, 21st century America. Uh, and uh, if we were to look at our culture today, what, what would you say are the, are the two biggest uh, issues in our society? What are the two uh, largest problems that America is facing? What are, the, what are the issues that if you were sitting around uh, the dinner table on Thanksgiving, if you brought them up, you knew there would be division? Uh, there knew there would be an immediate kind of line in the sand uh, what would those issues be? I would say they would be, number one, uh, sexual sin, and number two, social sin. Uh, issues of homosexuality and, and gender, uh, and issues of social justice or injustice. Right? As soon as you would bring those up, there would be uh, immediate uh, uh, silence or crickets at the table, uh, depending upon who, who is there. And so if those are the two biggest uh, issues in our world today, I would say that Colossians chapter 3, and just in the last few verses that we've looked at last week, and what we're going to look at this in the single verse this week, address those issues of sexual sin and social sin. Now, if you look with me in Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 4, Paul gives, gives two broad commands uh, to the Colossians uh, that should govern the, their overall lives. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, command number one, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then command number two, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul lays out those the, the general commands, and then he goes into the specifics. And what we looked at last week in, in verses 5 through 7, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. Verse 8 what we'll look at this morning. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Last week we looked at and saw that, uh, that sexual sins are really come from a heart of idolatry, a heart of uh, covetousness, a heart of greed uh, that's insatiable, wanting more and more and more. And sexual sins are not just merely a problem of outward actions, and he moves from sexual immorality and, and, and drills down into our hearts to say it's covetousness, and that is idolatry. He says, hey, sexual uh, immorality really begins with a spiritual idolatry. 
That's what he lays out uh, in verses 5 through 7. He says, you, you, you sin sexually because you are worshiping something other than Christ. And now he's, he's going to shift gears this morning and address other sins. He's going to address uh, social sins in verse 8, meaning the way that we speak and interact uh, with others around us. What is it that we do every single day, pretty much the whole day? We are talking and interacting with people, right? Whether that would be on social media, whether that would be face-to-face, even though sometimes uh, some of us talk more on social media than we do in face-to-face conversations. Uh, But we are always interacting with people. And in this verse, this one little verse in verse 8, we're going to see how the gospel should transform us and how it should change the way that we communicate and interact with other people. Uh, and how we should change so that we might be salt and light in a culture that has absolutely lost sight of how to speak to one another. In a culture that has no idea how to, how to engage someone and speak with somebody without getting angry. How, how do you disagree with somebody and not begin to, to hate them? Well, this, uh, this verse is going to address that. And ultimately, as we see, if these are the two biggest issues in our society. Paul addresses them here. And he drills down and says, hey, what, what is the hope of our society? What is the hope of addressing these issues, sexual sin and, and social sin? How do we address them? It's the gospel, because both of them start in our hearts. And ultimately, what we'll see in this verse is uh, two ways that the gospel brings hope to our communication. Uh, num- number one, it brings hope by teaching us how to change. It shows us that change is possible, and then uh, it lists out what needs to change. It identifies what needs to change in our lives, and not just the outward external obedience, but what needs to change inside of our hearts. And again, only the gospel can transform hearts. Outward rules can't transform hearts. That's what Paul says at the end of Colossians 2, verses 20 to 23. He says, all of these rules that you have that are man-made, they are absolutely worthless when it comes to stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Because outward rules don't change the heart. When you give your child a rule, which I'm just learning how to figure out how to do with my seven-month-old son, telling him no, uh, when, when you give him a rule, does that magically transform his heart? No, it, it helps to, to manage his behavior a little bit. It shows him what is right but it, and what is wrong, but it doesn't fundamentally change who he is. Only the gospel can do that, and there's gospel solutions. This is the gospel that gives us hope and what we will see this morning. So let's, let's dive in. Let's begin to look at, at the first way that the gospel brings hope to our communication, that it, it teaches us how to change. Verse 8 begins with uh, two simple words, but now, uh, and it connects it with verse 7. There's a contrast being made, and verse 7 uh, says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. Speaking of the, the sexual sins that, that he laid out, he said, hey, you used to be that way. You used to walk in those ways. That used to characterize you. But then that that little word, but, shows a contrast. That that used to be who you are, but you're not that way anymore. That's what what Paul is laying out here. You've been transformed by Christ. Because as soon as you believe in Christ, you are united with him. Uh, And as you see there on that little chart on the bottom of your your notes, uh, you you have died with him. You have risen with him. You are seated with him. Uh, All of these realities of what you participate in, because as soon as we believe we are united with Christ in faith, uh, those are the benefits. And because those things are true, now the reality is we should be changed. What we know and believe should then impact what we uh, 
are transformed into and then we begin to do. So, but now, so there, there's a difference that has taken place. And then the command here is you must put them all away. Uh, and, and this reality of putting off uh, is the idea of changing clothes. Uh, what, you, what you do when you get home when you're, when you're dirty and smelly, if you've been out uh, raking leaves in the yard, uh, you, you change your clothes when you, when you come in. Uh, there, in the old, uh, in the early church, uh, when somebody was baptized, they, they would, before the baptism, they would take off uh, their, uh, their outward garments, uh, they would be, get baptized, and then after their baptism, they were given a fresh new, uh, clean, white robe. Uh, signifying that they were now uh, in the eyes of God because uh, their sins had been given to Christ and Christ's righteousness was now attributed to them. They, they were now clean. Uh, that's where the, the white comes in. Uh, and in the early church, they, they have records of people who would actually just get baptized so they could get the new rope. Uh, and and they, they wanted that. But that's the idea here that, that Paul is saying is uh, you, you've put aside those old dirty clothes that were, that were stained and soaked with your sin. You've put those off and now you've put on new robes given to you by Christ. Uh, and, and you need to live accordingly. You must put uh, them all away. And as he says, you must put them all away of, of taking them off or laying aside or ridding yourself. Uh, when he says them all, I think what he's including is the sins that he's about to list at the end of verse 8. And then I also think he, he's speaking back to that list of five things that he says uh, in, at the end of verse 5. Now, of put them all in a comprehensive way. Put them all away. And so the gospel shows uh, that we can change. It shows us that change is possible, and it shows us how to change. Again, as we looked at, uh, Paul gives these overarching commands in verses 1 and 2 in chapter 3. Uh, then it would, let's just do a little something. Look at entire paragraphs. The paragraph in verses 5 through 11 is going to say well, everything that we need to put off. He's going to talk about, hey, the, the first pr- step in the process of change is to, to put off, or I love how he says it in verse 5, of put to death. Kill sin, uh, and then here it's going to be a synonymous idea of laying it aside, forsake it, uh, and then uh, what we're going to see, it, uh, do not lie, is also stop doing this. And then verses 12 to 17, that next paragraph, after saying, hey, you've got to get rid of all of this stuff, verses 12 to 17 say, hey, you've got to begin to do all of these things. You need to then put on love. You need to put on compassion. You need to put on humility. He, he's going to tell them what they need to replace what they've put off with. Uh, and so there, there's this two-step process that he is then calling them to. Uh, and, and change is difficult, isn't it? Anybody here ever tried to change and, and, and failed? Right? Those New Year's resolutions, how are you guys doing on those? And now, now that it's November, you're like, I made New Year's resolutions this year? Uh, right? What? Uh, and so th- this reality that change is it, it's difficult. But what we need to see that even though it's, it's difficult, it is not impossible. Because every, every time God gives us a command in Scripture, he will also empower us to obey that command. Yes, it, it's a hard command to follow, to, to kill sin, uh, to put it off, to, to take it off from you and, and forsake it and leave it behind. That's difficult, but it's not impossible. Uh, and the reason it's not impossible is because the Holy Spirit dwells within us and strengthens us to that. But also, uh, it's, it's so difficult is because we're dealing with, with sinful habits. 
right? And again, we should be thankful for habits. Uh, habits are, are automatic, comfortable, and unconscious. Uh, and what I mean by that is that they're automatic. They are the, the default tracks that we, that we follow, that we uh, kind of are laid out for us. Uh, have any of you ever on the commute home had your mind wander and then fun, suddenly you find yourself pulling into your driveway without ever remembering uh, the drive? You're like, how did I get here? Or you're going to the store and you're, you're not really thinking about the, the route there, but you're thinking that everything that you have to get to the store. And the reason you can do that is because you've, you've driven that route before. That you're, you're so familiar with it, you're so used to, to driving along that road that you can do it almost without thinking. It, it's automatic, and that's, that's how our old sinful habits are, right? We, we, can, we can do them automatically without thinking about them. Suddenly, uh, we are in sin. You're like, how did I get here? <laughs> how did I get into this argument? How did I give in to this temptation? And it's because it's, it's automatic. And secondly, it's, it's comfortable. Your sin has become... Uh, a place of ease, and, and it brings peace for a time uh, to those desires in your heart. It's automatic and it's comfortable, and and sin is comfortable in the sense that uh, it provides an immediate gratification, right? You're happy with sin for a little bit until uh, until the bitterness that follows the sweet comes in, and then you're like, why did I do this? I can't believe I got again into this argument or I gave into this temptation. Uh, it's it's automatic. It's comfortable. It brings comfort for a time, and then it is unconscious, that, that we can do these uh, without ever thinking about them. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, we are not even aware of the sinful habits that we have, right? Sometimes we don't even realize what uh, we are doing. Uh, and so this, this process of change that Paul is in the middle of laying out, of, of put off, and put on is also subservient to the bigger commands in verses 1 and 2. We can't forget those because if we just try and do the put off and put on, it's just behavior modification. Uh, if we're just going to try and say, all right, I'm just going to work harder, I'm just going to do all of these, these rules, we've, we've fallen into what Paul says, again, at the end of Colossians 2. Of those man-made rules are never going to transform your heart. But first and foremost, you must seek Christ. You must seek him. You must think him. You must pursue him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the, the first thing that you must do, because if you're not doing that, you're going to have no desire to kill sin. Right? You're going to have no desire to lay sin aside if you're not focused first and foremost upon Christ. So, so where do we begin in this process of change? Where do we begin in, in beginning to forsake and put off sin? Well, first we have to come to grips with the reality that we have sinful habits. <laughs> that, that's the first step, because if we never say or never acknowledge that we have sinful habits, is there ever anything that we need to address? You're like, no, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, you can look at 1 John uh, verses 1, or chapter 1, verses 8 through 10 uh, for that. If you, if you say that you have no sin, you make God a liar. Uh, the truth isn't in you. Uh, that, that's the reality there. You have to come to grips with the fact that you have sinful habits in your life, and they might be obvious, they might be subtle, but they are there. And in faith, you must be convinced that these habits are worthy of death, that they need a death sentence commuted to them, and that they are worthy of being left behind on the road as you pursue Christ. Uh, and I would say we need to take inventory of our lives. Where, where are the weeds of sin beginning to grow up and, and crop up in our lives? Uh, and we need to, to begin to, to 
open ourselves up to the input of others. Because if, if sin is unconscious, if we do it because it's automatic and comfortable and we do it without even realizing it, uh, we're going to be blind to our blind spots, as Paul Tripp would say, which means we need the help of God's word and we need the help of other people around us uh, to, to know where we are going astray, uh, to know where we are wandering, for others to come up and be able to say, hey, you've got this whole sin thing going on right there. You might not realize it. Uh, and, and that's why... Uh, our, our small groups, our growth groups are so important because as we're, as we're sitting here together listening to the word proclaimed, which is so important, we're still not able to really get to know one another. We're still not able to, to really speak into one another's lives, and that's where uh, being able to get together throughout the week and really get to know one another, to, to know and be known and to speak truth into one another's lives is so important. This is a part of the Christian life, but this is not everything, just sitting here and being able to worship uh, and learn from God's word. We, we have to be in community. Uh, as we've said before, a lone ranger is a dead ranger in the Christian faith. Uh, and if our habits are unconscious, we won't be able to see them without others and without God's word. Uh, and on another level, is it fun when other people tell us or show us how we've been sinning? No, not at all. I, I don't respond uh, the best to my wife when she helps uh, point things out. Uh, that, that's a painful experience. And so this reality that, that change is possible uh, and that change needs to happen in my life means that I need to begin to be humble and, and teachable. Uh, and begin to listen to others. And, and even if they come with something, the first thing I should ask, even if I think it's totally off base, is to, to pray in my own heart and say, Lord, is there any truth to what this person is saying? Now, I need to examine my heart because, again, I am blind to my own sin and I need help. And Paul, Paul again, uses this, this phrase and, and lists off, ultimately, as we'll see in these two verses, and as you see on your chart, as he says, put them all away, he's going to give the list of two things in two separate verses, and there's uh, some commonality between them. Uh, as you see there on your charts, he's going he's to reverse his direction. And, and instead of working from uh, the, the outside and then drilling down into the heart, as he did in verse 5, here he's going to begin in the heart and work outward. Uh, and so this is, this is the second way that the gospel brings hope, by, by helping us identify what needs to change. Uh, it's one thing just to say, hey, uh, you've got to change things. You're like, okay, but, but what is it? Right? If somebody, if you take your car to an auto mechanic and you're like, hey, you've got stuff that's broken. You're like, okay, well, what is it? What, what, what does it need to be fixed? A mechanic that just says, yeah, there's something wrong, that, that's no different than just a warning light. You're like, okay, what, what is it that needs to be fixed? And that's what Paul gives us here and the second way that we'll see this morning, that the gospel brings hope by identifying what, uh, what to change. And, and he gives this, this progression of what we need to put off of anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Working from uh, the, the inner heart desire, the inner heart, uh, uh, that feeling of, of anger that we then begin to give into, leading to obscene talk, to disgraceful words. Uh, and if we are really honest... Uh, if we look at our ugliest moments, our, our worst fights with somebody, we can probably see this exact pattern. And we can see it, it, if, it fueling in our hearts uh, and growing from there. Uh, and, and let's look at each of these individually as we see this progression. That, that first word that he lists there, anger, means to, 
to teem with inner emotion. It, it's, a, it's a deep, smoldering bitterness. Uh, and the idea is if you were to cut open a really juicy orange, uh, what would happen? If you just cut it right down the middle, you would have juice that's filled up. And then what would, what would spill out of it as soon as you cut it open? That, that juice. That, that's the way this word was used in the Greek to speak of flowers or fruits that were full of juice or liquid. So when we have that anger in our hearts, if you cut our hearts open, what's going to pour out? Anger. Uh, and, and what is it that sparks our anger? Usually it's an unfulfilled desire. That your worship of something other than Christ has been interrupted. And that you're getting something that you don't want, or you are wanting something that you don't have. So, so if you want to ask yourself some piercing questions, in the, in the moment that you're angry, ask, what is it that I have that I don't want? Right? When, you're, when you're driving on the road and someone cuts you off, why do you, why do you get angry? Because you don't want that inconvenience. They have, something, they have suddenly brought something into your life that you didn't want. And the response is anger. What is it that you have that you don't want? And then what do I want but don't have? You ask those questions in the, in the middle of your moments of anger and you will... You'll see really why you're angry, and you will see the idols of your heart. You'll see what really makes you tick. You'll see what you are truly worshiping in that moment instead of worshiping Christ. And those will be humbling, humbling questions to answer for yourself. And, to, and you have to be honest. The second word that he, that he uses there, wrath, uh, points to uh, the... The idea that that anger that was in your heart is now beginning to boil over. Uh, And it's that same word is used uh, and translated as outbursts of anger in Galatians 5.20, or the fits of anger. And so the anger that's in your heart then begins to show itself, and it begins to to expose itself. In little outbursts, it it, it rises up and then it simmers back down. And this word is also used uh, by the Greeks to describe uh, sitting fire to hay, right? As soon as you put a match to hay, what happens? It burns up real quick, and then there's nothing left. Uh, and that's, that's this outburst of anger. So you're angry in your heart, and then it gives, it gives vent and, and flares up, and then it, it dissipates. Uh, and then wrath will then lead to, to malice, a word that simply means evil. And it describes a, a disposition of inner viciousness, that, that you have suddenly in your heart a desire to, to hurt someone else. To, 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 to vent upon them and do them harm. And then that, that malice, that, dis, that disposition of viciousness in your heart will then lead to actions. Slander. The word is, is literally where we get our word blasphemy. Now it's used that as, uh, it's translated blasphemy when it speaks of uh, God. Uh, and it's, it's translated as slander when it speaks of, of people. Uh, and this reality of when, when we have anger in our heart and then it flares up and exposes itself, uh, if it's not dealt with, it will then lead to malice and, and a bitterness within you so that when you are uh, angry with someone continually and bitter towards them in your heart, you have this, this desire to, to make them hurt. Right? And usually in an argument, uh, it becomes, uh, I want to prove you wrong. I want, I want you to acknowledge that I am right and I'm willing to use any words to beat you down until you are willing to say that. 
That's the, the reality and, and becomes slanderous. We begin to blaspheme others. And ultimately, when we slander others, we blaspheme God because we are all created in the image of God. That's what James 3 will say. Uh, turn with me to over to, over to Le- Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. Just to really see if, if the Bible and the Old Testament are still relevant. Leviticus 19, verse 16. An amazing passage, and we'll come back to it. So if you have another little piece of paper, you can put a marker there. But Moses writes, says, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. He says, you shall not go around as a slanderer, or the, the, literally, you shall not go around as a talebearer. Because usually when we're angry with somebody in our heart, uh, sometimes we don't, wanna, we don't go talk to them. Who do we go talk to? Anybody and everybody else. I have this issue with so-and-so, and I'm going to go and, and speak to this person about it. When, when really the Bible would say, if you have this issue with so-and-so, you need to go to so-and-so, not anybody else. You, you need to run to them and reconcile. And so here, in... in Verse 16 in Leviticus, he's saying, this is what you, you should not go around as a slanderer. You should not go around as a talebearer and begin to slander people. And again, mark that. We'll, we'll come back to that passage. Um, but but that's, that's the idea of, of slandering. And then uh, the fifth uh, in this list that Paul mentions is obscene talk. Or it's a, it's a compound word in the Greek that literally kind of combines the idea of disgraceful words. Uh, it's, it's foul speech. It's, it's abusive speech. And while, while slander can be a private matter, if you can go and speak to somebody else uh, about what this other person did, uh, I think this kind of has the bigger idea. You just begin to speak openly and harshly uh, to anybody and everybody who's willing and able to hear. Uh, this is this is abusive speech, obscene talk that just constantly is coming out of your mouth. Uh, and that statement uh, at the end of verse eight of you know put these away or out of your mouth from your mouth, I think is referring to those last two of, of slander and obscene talk, where those inner heart desires again bubble up and come out in in words, and it's ugly when those words come out, is it not? We can see that constantly on, on social media because uh, people have just, again, lost reality that they're speaking with somebody else. Uh, my wife and I, when we lived in Southern California, we used to love to go uh, in the Malibu Hills, uh, these big hills overlooking the ocean, and we loved to go and hike there. And, and one spring we were up there uh, hiking, and it's just it's gorgeous. For the two days that California is green, it's amazing. Uh, and so we were there on one of those two days, and, and everything's green. There's just really tall grass. There's some trees growing, uh, and uh, it's just gorgeous. We do the hike, and then later on that summer, there was a, a, a wildfire in that area. And we came back again that fall, and I was shocked to see the devastation. What, you know, we, we come around the corner of, of uh, kind of up onto this hill, and then we suddenly see everything is black. There is scorched earth. Uh, 
that there is nothing living. There is, this, this landscape has been absolutely decimated. Uh, and it was, it was just amazing to see that. Like I, I had in my mind, like I was expecting one thing, and then just to see this devastation. Well, Scripture says, James 3, if you want to turn there, James uses the language, and he uses the, the picture of a wildfire to describe the power of our tongues. Beginning in verse 5 in James 3, he writes, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is saying that, that when we sin with the tongue, we scorch, we scorch earth uh, in our relationships. Oftentimes when I'm, when I'm speaking with, uh, with a man who, who's had outbursts of anger in his marriage, I, I go to this. Uh, and I say, hey, look, there's, there's scorched earth in your relationship with your wife. And it takes time for that to regrow. Uh, and how, do, how does that forest regrow? Again, it, it is possible to regrow, but you've got to water it. And you can't start any more fires. And the thing about where wildfires have been set, if there's another fire in the area and it, and it comes over, that area is, again, going to go up so fast because it's so dry uh, and so primed for a fire. Turn with me also to Matthew chapter 12. Verses 33 to 36. What You'll see what James was saying is actually built upon what his half-brother Jesus said. Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit you brood of vipers how can you speak good when you are evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil i tell you on the day of judgment people will give account for every careless word they speak for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned 
a sobering paragraph, is it not? Uh, and, and, and what Paul is, is saying here, as we turn back to Colossians, is all of that, all of the, the, the hateful speech, the reason that wildfires are started by your tongue is because there is a fire in your heart. Is because when anger exists in the heart, it's only a matter of time until it begins to, to show itself outwardly. So, so how, do we, how do we begin to grow in this area? How do we begin to uh, put on our firefighter hat and fight fires in our communication, in our, our words? Again, number, number one, we need to know that our words, both the ones that we think internally and the ones that we speak outwardly, reveal the worship of our hearts. Our mouths bring our hearts to the surface for all to see. Because what did Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in your heart will begin to come out. Uh, and that's the, that's the reality. And that's why I say we have to address the words that we say to ourselves internally. Because what's the quickest way to get mad or angry with your spouse or somebody else? What is it that you're constantly saying in your mind? You're attacking them. You're slandering them in your mind. You're rehearsing over and over again. Uh, you put that track on repeat. Uh, their sin that they've committed against you and that's what you're thinking about constantly. And how does that make you feel? Do you want to go give them a hug? <laughs> no. Uh, it makes that, That's how the, the anger and bitterness begins. And then there's an outburst of anger because you've been thinking about their sin that they've committed against you all day. There's an outburst of anger. Uh, and then you're in an argument, and then you want to win that argument. That's where the malice comes in. And then there, there's slander. You begin to say, well, you always or you never. And you begin to attack the person trying to win an argument. And your speech from there just begins to go <laughs> to obscene talk. It, it's a sobering reality. And what Paul is saying is it begins in your hearts. And we have to be honest about that. And we need to see that when we are speaking harsh words, that, that that's because those words are coming from our hearts. We, we need to be convinced that when you, we sin with our tongues, we also sin with our hearts. And, and that should grieve us, should it not? I mean, I mean usually we, we feel, after an argument, we feel terrible, right? We are deeply grieved by what we spoke, but we also need to be deeply grieved by what, what that revealed about our hearts, what came out. When we seek to reconcile after an argument, uh, we need to confess both sins of the tongue and sins of the heart. Of when, when you go and reconcile, I'm sorry that I spoke that way. I realize I was angry with you, and I need your forgiveness both for my anger that was directed towards you and the harsh words that came out because I was angry. And we need to do that without qualification. What do we typically do? Well, you made me angry. <laughs> if you hadn't have said that, uh, and, and the reality is that, that conflict squeezes us. It squeezes us like if you were to take a sponge in your hand uh, and squeeze it, what's going to come out? Whatever's inside the sponge. And, and conflict squeezes us, but the conflict is not responsible for what comes out. Because it squeezes, but it doesn't determine what, what comes out. Because if, uh, why did dirty water come out instead of clean water? Right? It, conflict will expose what is already in you, but it doesn't change what is in you. And, and that's where we have to begin to, to realize, as we ask about those and, and 
look back upon our conflicts and say, no, I need, to, I need to repent. I need to be grieved over my sin that I've spoken and the sin that I've thought in my heart. To turn with me back to, back to Leviticus again to show how relevant uh, Scripture is today and to show that Scripture is, uh, presents us uh, a, a consistent teaching throughout its pages. We read verse 16. Look at verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. That's a put off, right? You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. And the idea there is if you, if you have an issue with your brother, go speak to him. Go resolve it. And if you don't resolve it, uh, you're going to be in sin with them. And then verse 18 you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Again, a put off. We, in verse 17, we had a put off and a put on. Verse 18, we have a put off. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge. Where, where is the location of a grudge? Where does that take place? In our hearts. You shall not bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. That is what God is saying to the people. Put off bitterness, put off grudges, and put on love for others. Because that's, that's the opposite. Uh, again, this is a two-step process, as we're seeing in Colossians. Uh, you have to put off and you have to put on. Uh, and that's exactly what Leviticus teaches. Uh, and that we have to uh, replace what we are putting off constantly. The reality is, uh, that only you can prevent forest fires in your home. Uh, when I was growing up, there would be those uh, Smokey the Bear commercials that would come on TV. Only you can prevent forest fires. Uh, you guys are the only ones who can uh, keep forest fires from arising in your home and keep forest fires from arising on your little area of social media uh, because how many people does it take to argue? Two. If one person is unwilling to argue, what happens? There's no argument. Uh, the, the, the reality is it takes two to argue. Uh, and we have to be willing to put out forest fires. We have to be willing to confess our sins. We have to be willing to confess our heart motives in those dialogues. And then really begin to put on love, to begin to season our speech with with grace, with, with salt, as it's going to say later on in Colossians, uh, and really address this in our own hearts. Turn with me over to Ephesians 4.29. These are just, just really quickly. Comprehensive verse when it comes to, to how we should communicate with, with others. And again, you'll notice a put off and a put on in this. Verse 29 in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. There's four really simple questions that you can ask yourself of whether I should say something or not from this verse. Uh, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Okay? Is, this, is this speech corrupting? Now, is it going to tear down? Is it going to be a wrecking ball? Uh, and if it is, I don't need to say it. Question number two, but only such as is good for building up. So instead of me being a wrecking ball, uh, 
Am I going to encourage somebody? Am I going to build them up in what I'm saying right now? That's question number two. Question three, as fits the occasion, does it need to be said right now? Right? Because there's sometimes uh, where something can, can be good and, and be uh, something that needs to be said, but maybe this isn't the moment to say it. Is, is this the occasion that I need to say it? And then question number four, that last part, that it may give grace to those who hear. Is, does it extend grace to this person? Uh, those, those simple questions will probably eliminate a lot of the things that we say. And we need to be consistent in the way that we speak. That's what James was saying, right? Uh, with, with our mouths, what do we do? We're just saying and praise God. And then at the same time, what do we also do? We, we attack those around us. And, and what, what James is saying is we need to be consistent. That, that we need to, uh, to only allow clean water to come out. When conflict squeezes us, that's what should come out. Clean, purified, filtered water. And, and the reality is, is, I don't think there's anything more discouraging than conflict. Right? There's nothing that deflates me more uh, than conflict with somebody. Uh, and it's easy to lose hope. Uh, in, in, when there's continual conflict, it feels hopeless. And the reality is that, that God's word gives us hope. It, it shows us uh, that change is possible. It shows us how to change. And then it lists out what needs to change. And, and this should impact our lives. It should, it should give us hope because, uh, again, we see the gospel on display and we see that our world needs this the most. Coming back to our, our biggest issues in our society, sexual sins and social sins. Now, what's the only solution to both of these issues? The gospel, Christ. Because again, Paul says both of those issues begin where? In our hearts. So there's not going to be a bill passed by politicians in Washington or over here in Boise. Uh, there's not going to be judicial verdicts or uh, blogs on social media that, that come up with solutions to this apart from the grace of God found in Jesus Christ, his son. That is the solution to uh, our greatest needs in society, and that is the solution to our greatest needs in our homes. Uh, this reality that we are still sinners in need of God's grace. And that's, that is the gospel, and that is what Paul is unfolding here. This is, this is how the gospel applies to your speech. Uh, and we can't lose sight of the gospel uh, in, in our homes, in society, and, and seeing, hey, what's my greatest need is the grace of God applied to, applied to my life each and every day. Uh, what, what's the cure for those who are angry and committing social sins and social injustice? They need the gospel. They need to know who Jesus is and what he has done for them. Uh, and, and it's amazing what, what that will do and, and the transformation that can bring to our lives and, and the hope that that gives us uh, in our homes and the hope that that can give to society. So should we go give that to those around us? Should we go give it to our, our neighbors uh, and our coworkers? Uh, and our family members that we might have just estranged on Thanksgiving, yeah, they, they, they still need the gospel. That is their greatest need. And uh, as we said, we are Ambassador Bible Fellowship. We want to represent him well. We are ambassadors with a message of reconciliation. And again, is it helpful to bring a message of reconciliation with anger? Is that convincing? I'm here to reconcile you to God. Now do it. Uh, no, we, we come, we need to put off all of these things as we proclaim the gospel, as we speak with others, 
may we be consistent in our speech and apply the gospel to this area of our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, we are open and laid bare before you this morning. Lord, you know our hearts, you know the anger that resides within them, and you know of every occasion when we have given vent to that anger, whether that would be directed towards a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, a spouse, a child. Lord, you have been there for it all. And Lord, it is sobering to think that we will have to stand before you and give an account of every careless word that we have spoken. Lord, our words have started many a forest fire. Many a blaze has been sparked. But Lord, we long to to repent, to turn from the way that we used to speak before we knew Christ. We long now to, to be like Christ, to put on his likeness, to have our speech be characterized by love, grace, compassion, humility, meekness, gentleness, Lord, we long to glorify you. We long to be set apart from the world around us and to be distinguished by the way that we speak of others, the way that we speak of you. Lord, we long to glorify you. And I pray now that you would humble us and help us to confess our sins of speech and the sins of our hearts on a regular and daily basis to all those that we sin against, first and foremost to you. And I pray that you would empower us to speak differently. Lord, we long to be faithful ambassadors. May you empower us to be such this week. We ask in Jesus' name.